Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. My friends, it is happening. We are springing forward. And what better time to head out to the Pleasure Chest for one of their free events. When you're in the store, check out the new special edition Feel My Power Lay Wand Vibrator. Lay Wand just released this new design by Wednesday Holmes, a non-binary artist I personally love, in celebration of International Women's Day. The female-founded Lay Wand collaborated with Wednesday to support self-empowerment through pleasure for their second International Women's Day wand release. The outside of the vibrator features an artfully playful package, but underneath, it's still one of the strongest and sexiest rechargeable wands on the market. It comes with an enamel keychain, two iron-on patches, a postcard collection, a temporary tattoo set, a travel case, and a pleasure guide. It is so cute! Wednesday says, making art can be about taking back power that is frequently taken from us in the real world. Hell yeah, Wednesday, that's what we're all about here at Wire People Into That. Laywand is also doing a special event at the Los Angeles Pleasure Chest. On March 22nd, you can empower yourself at the Pleasure Chest's first ever pleasure confessional. Step into the confessional booth and tell your story of empowerment in or outside the bedroom. Bring your friends, your partner, or your partners, or come by after brunch to share a few stories while enjoying snacks and drinks. Win prizes and enjoy exclusive discounts on the empowering Laywand line. Get sprung this spring with the pleasure chest. And now, on with the show. We used to work together in a sex toy store. Yes. Like back in the way back, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... Fancy Feast is a burlesque performer, sex educator, and writer. She holds the title of Miss Coney Island 2016 and is the recipient of the Revolutionary Award at the 2017 New York Burlesque Festival. She's a 2018 New Jewish Culture Fellow. She's performed nationwide at venues including the Whitney, No Big Deal, the Brooklyn Museum, the Metropolitan Opera, also No Big Deal, and the Burlesque Hall of Fame, also No Big Deal, in Las Vegas. She's the subject of the 2016 documentary Fancy Feast, The Fat Burlesque Performer by Leon Chase. Hi, Fancy. Do you prefer Fancy or Miss Feast if you're nasty? nasty? Yeah. (laughs) Also, where can people see this documentary? It's on YouTube. The whole thing is available for free on YouTube. Hell yeah. How are you feeling? Oh, you know, (laughs) thriving in the wasteland. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but anyway. (laughs) But, But right. It's so it's been really hard to sort of negotiate the fact that like my life is doing pretty well right um and then things around are just like an absolute chaos nightmare yeah the world is comprised of all of us mm-hmm. right so that's my wisdom for the day that's all i've got that's right we're we're here we're here yes <laughs> okay so we're going to talk today about burlesque mm-hmm. but before we do well i've i've wanted to have you on the show for a long time like we were just talking about we met Almost a decade ago, working mm-hmm. in a sex toy store. How long did you work there? I worked there for seven years. Right on. I put in my time. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> you, you and and you know, you're not the people who didn't 
buy lube when they bought butt toys. You know, it's you're not responsible. People are free to make their own choices. Hell is other people, unfortunately. Thank you. Yeah, when I when I die and they're like weighing my sins, you know, <laughs> on the scale, I feel like this one at least is not going to go on. It's like one of my transgressions. No, no, no. No, you definitely contributed, I would say, like a net good in terms of, and continue to in terms of butt education and lube education. That's very kind. Yeah, I think you've <laughs> reduced friction in the in the rectum of the world. Oh, that's you should that's going on my website. Please do. Yeah, you can quote me blurb. I've blurbed you. I so I'm really excited to talk to you about burlesque, but before we do, I want to talk about this article that you wrote that was published on Jewish Currents, mm-hmm. which is online. You mm-hmm. can read it now for free. And I, I, I read it before and I was just like, this is fucking amazing. And it's basically about being the the object of Jewish fetishism or like like specifically like in terms of gender like desire for the the Jewess. Mm-hmm. When I first read it, I was just like, this is so great everybody's like Catholic, 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 nuns, 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 which by the way, so did I. I had an episode um, late last year with Christine, AKA Demonum X talking about Catholic fetishism and people mm. just have not stopped coming up to me and telling me how much they, they love that episode. And it was fun for me because nuns and crosses and kneeling in little booths, like frankly leaves me quite cold. Um, so it was, it was good for me to mm. sort of be like, what is sexy about this? And, and sort of um, learn a little bit about that. I, f- I feel like we we don't talk as much about like the specifics of Jewish identity and desire mm-hmm. and the taboos and the fetishes and everything related to that. And so I, I really want to unpack that today. But I also just want to say to you that I was rereading it yesterday and I was like, this is actually also one of the best pieces that I've ever read about identity-based fetishism. I just thought oh. it was so smart and so and I kept being like I'm gonna quote this part and read it I'm gonna quote this part and read it and I was just like cutting and pasting the whole thing and I was like I'm just gonna tell people to go read it which they can do online on being a fetish on being a fetish Mm -hmm. and it's on Jewish currents and it's under the name fancy feast that's correct it's it's like a image of a sexy dancing bagel or Mm -hmm. something right yeah (laughs) Didn't know I needed that in my life. <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh, actually, I'm not mad about this. Mm-hmm. Before you wrote it, had you had lots of conversations about the subject of people like desiring Jewish identity or like stereotypical Jewish features or or, or stereotypical like Jewish archetypes mm. that often before? I haven't had that many conversations about it. I have a distinct memory of a a brunch that I had with my friend Sarah Marie when I was in college. And we talked about the construction of the American Jew as a sort of distinctly sexless Mm. character and how that influenced our ability to perceive ourselves as sexy and sexual you know just a nice little college brunch chat yeah that sounds about right that's like it's like hits bong once like you know yeah (laughs) Yeah. are you talking are you talking about jews of all genders or specifically jewish women it's hard it's hard to to sort of parse i can only really speak from my positionality totally um and i think the way that jewish men and jewish women are constructed is obviously like different in the american imagination but i think in this case the uncoolness of it or like the the sort of oldness of judaism Mm. or the strangeness of judaism kind of blankets all genders of jewish people 
um, with that kind of like the the filth of the stereotype, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, totally. So tell us a little bit about the article and what you wanted to express in that and maybe like some of the conversations that you've had since then in relation to it. Mm. I think identity and desire is complicated. Like that nexus is is quite fraught. And in my sort of late 20s overhaul, like thinking about who I am, who I've been, who I want to be, I think I think part of part of what I'm trying to understand more in my life is like the way that I am seen and perceived mm-hmm. and where that lines up and where that misaligns with how I perceive myself. And to also be willing to call myself out in the ways that I am like complicit in my own dehumanization mm-hmm. and therefore the dehumanization of other people. Mm-hmm. It felt like this was something, a topic that I didn't see represented in the archive. Like I had looked for a resource when I felt weird about the way that other people would see me or or fuck me or desire me. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder what I wonder what the academy has to say. I wonder what you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wonder or I wonder what like people are saying on Tumblr. And I just wasn't finding what I was looking for. Totally. And in my writing work and in my performance work, oftentimes it's like I see a I see a gap and I fill it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Wanted to contribute to the canon that way, you know? <laughs> well, I, I really think that you did and and I think that you also like you touched on these strange ways that Jewish men and women, I think, are both sexed and desexed. That Jewish women are perceived, I think, as like very horny and pushy and confident, but then also withholding, like the Jewish American princess uh, and entitled. But then at the same time, there is this sort of similar element of the sort of like the most extreme like image of a Catholic woman would be either like the Virgin Mary or nuns who, you know, so of course that's all about like celibacy and like immaculate conception and like being desexed, right? Mm -hmm. Especially nuns are like highly fetishized and, and sexualized in the like contemporary cultural imagination to the point of almost being like, like a Halloween costume joke, right? Why don't we see more Hasidim porn? (laughs) Like, why don't we see more like, sorry, but like, why don't we see more like wigs being snatched? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) because it's like so similar to nuns, right? Like Mm -hmm. the idea of Orthodox women because of being Jewish, like because of faith or tradition, like like totally covering themselves. Mm. Why don't we see more porn of that? Ooh. I wish I knew. Um, If I had to hazard a guess, I feel like there's something about Catholics as not really being like a minoritized Mm. population here or like it being seen as a sort of more dominant culture, religious tradition. Right. Whereas, so who would produce this like Hasidic porn? Right. Because I don't necessarily think it would be Hasidic people for wide distribution or maybe it would be. I don't know. <laughs> who the stranger f- things have happened. Who the I fuck knows? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we live in Brooklyn after all. But but thinking about, like, who's consuming it? Like, who desires it? And the sort of, the danger of the single story that minoritized groups get. Sure. So that it's like, is there something where we feel like we would be traitors for misrepresenting Jewish people if we presented, if we packaged and presented Jewish sexuality for mainstream consumption in a way that was going to be enjoyed and palatable by other people like is it about is it about the way that judaism is 
behind closed doors or about difference. Yeah. I think that you have touched on, I mean, everything coming back to power and, and the way that even Catholic femininity, like even in the form of chaste nuns who obviously are like very low on the pecking order in Catholic authority, um, if that's even the right word, even they benefit from the relative power of Catholicism in the world now and historically. Mm. Whereas like in very real ways and also in terms of very ingrained cultural identity, Jews are marginalized and oppressed and disempowered. Right. And then also so much of our cultural construction is like, no, thank you. We're good. (laughs) You you don't have to see it. It's all right. But a lot of the time when people are like, again, withholding, that creates a tension that people that that often produces a desire. So I'm just I'm I can I can see in my head ravishing Hasidic women. I feel like I've barely ever seen it and it's definitely like even if it exists in a very like niche mm-hmm. erotica or you know i'm sure there's a reddit thread about it but like it, it's it has nowhere near the like iconography as a fetish archetype as say catholicism right if we see it we want to fuck it <laughs> you know <laughs> jews you mean well or whatever the way that like we tend we fetishize like what's around yeah, but also, but also what we're not, not allowed to have. Yes, but you have to know that you're not allowed to have it. Right. And I wonder if there's something about, like, how few Jewish people there actually are, even, yeah. if that if that contributes to it, that it's, like, there's want without, um, without image for it because, you know, there are just not as many Jews as there used to be. Yeah. And I also think it's really scary to, like, Nobody wants to be like, this is my thing. Like, or people do, and it's gross. When people are like, oh, I, I have a Jew fetish. Like well, I mean, somebody... this is part of what you wrote about. Yeah, I find it very disgusting when people say that to me, like, in a way that they think that's going to unlock the the secret pussy cabinet or whatever. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, good. <laughs> oh, I love being reduced to a cultural stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's, like, seen as really um, politically not a wise move to me. Like in these days and times to be like, these are the identities that I fetish fetishize. Like people might be like, like even if you feel it, can you not say it? You know? Yeah. Well, so you that was part of what was so great about your article is that you had such a great intersectional approach to like the way that that is similar to people having like yellow fever or people like chasers Mm -hmm. where they're like specifically into a certain kind of trans person or people who are into a certain body type yeah can you can you talk a little bit about the circumstances in which you feel like that is fucked up but also the ways in which it might be like all right to like acknowledge and express that you have a desire or a preference for someone like based on something that is related to their identity or that how they fit into an archetype Mm. i think when is that okay and when is it not (laughs) this is going to be the final word on it so no pressure it's okay tuesday through thursday No, we all like fucked up things. We live in a fucked up world. This is the broth that we're all being cooked in. Mm. And so I think it makes sense that we would, you know, do our best to turn these sort of objectionable thoughts into sexual desire. I think that in some ways that's a really like lovely, healthy 
good on you brain way of dealing with certain things that are really scary or are upsetting or are just like formative images all of that stuff it like it's great it comes out in our sexuality and I think that's fine to me being a responsible sexual person means that that's not the final step Mm. and so deep thought about the construction of those desires what might what might play into that how might that be perceived by the members of that group I had this idea that didn't make it into the article the idea of like sexual carbon credits Like it does so so in the way that like carbon credits like are are about sort of making proactive action to sort of uh, make up for harm that is done to the environment. You don't get to have the good parts about like wanting to fuck me as a Jew uh, or fetishize me as a Jew without then doing something proactive towards fighting for racial justice, fighting for economic justice. If you're going to have the yum yum stuff, you're going to have to do the homework as well. I love that. This should be a policy. It's It's my personal policy so far. I mean, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, because I was like, why does this feel so wrong and so bad? And it's like, oh, you just want to like skip to dessert and you don't actually want to think about my identity. Like you just want the thing that you want. And and to me, that's not an appropriate way to be sexual with me. I agree with you completely. And the desire very specifically comes out of the same thing that the oppression comes out of, which is Mm -hmm. the tension, the danger. You know, if you are benefiting from the oppression because it gives someone or something an edge, then the person who experiences the oppression not as an edge that they can get pleasure from, but as fucking oppression Mm -hmm. that's that's like that's like a direct correlation and um and yeah i think that people owe us (laughs) (laughs) it all comes down to that right yeah yeah yeah. or like or like just if you have a if you have a fetish that you feel ashamed about Mm. like think about the shame talk about the shame what would it look like to process the shame because i i think of shame as this kind of like this void you know, it's so scary. We don't explore it. And so things just happen unconsciously. And that's like where a lot of harm can occur in True. relationships. So if you're able to look at the parts of yourself that you are less proud of and make space for it, like throw a light on <laughs> in the shadowy room, I think you are less likely to to harm somebody. Yeah. And also like if you're feeling very consumed by shame, then you're probably also being very navel gazy. And like if you could maybe think about the ways that this is not about you. (laughs) Yes. And I'm not trying to fuck people who are are like shamed or ashamed about me or by me or by their desire for me. Totally. No, thank you. Same. Yeah. (laughs) Or neither. No. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For sure. Um, If you were going to make, if I gave you a budget to produce something in the medium of your choosing about Jewish sexuality, either from like non-Jews or like Jew for Jew, (laughs) there's your title right there. What are some of the elements that you would want to play with? Well, initially my thought is like a sort of 1950s educational <laughs> film reel. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> or, I mean, I, I produced an all-Jewish burlesque show. and Tell me more about that. 
That's well, a good, this is a good segue, actually. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Um, so as part of the New Jewish Culture Fellowship, I was really interested in Jewish bodies and performance and the subjectified Jewish body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did a show where it was like striptease and music and, and variety with all Jewish people. And, you know, it was open to the to the public. We had like several rabbis. Somebody stripped to a shofar. <laughs> amazing and and it and it really felt like well what would we want to say about ourselves or how would we want to represent ourselves yeah because I don't think I would want to create something that just exclusively came from my own point of view Mm -hmm. if I had a budget (laughs) I want there to be sort of a plurality of voices because my own experience is only a piece of the picture totally and also the variety show is part of the great Borscht Belt tradition damn right (laughs) (laughs) cool what if you were gonna make like Jewish themed porn, what are some of the elements you would play with? <laughs> okay, I feel like this is this is me prepping for my cancellation. Let me think about this. Something has to happen at camp. Uh-huh. Yeah, it has to be like a Jewish overnight camp, like okay. a young Judea kind of thing. Great. Maybe the setting is like the a sex segregated camp oh yeah with the idea that like you mix and mingle and like it's at the dances that you have your erotic moments but then they leave like 12 to 16 girls in the dorm and just turn off the light and hope everyone's being very good (laughs) are they are they being very good no 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 i i I taught my whole cabin how to masturbate when i was like 10 or 11 i drew a diagram and and we passed it around and we talked about it and that night (laughs) Everybody was jerking off. And they told me, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> that was gross. Save it for home, but also, congratulations. Wait, when you were a counselor? No, no, I wasn't a counselor. Oh, was, no, you, you were a, f- a fellow. I was a fellow camper. Yeah, yeah. But um, that, that, is a, that is a great scene. That's a great <laughs> scene. Yeah, I might, I might like, uh, age up everybody considerably. Totally. From, from my life, yeah. Totally. I don't know if people, like, on Yom Kippur... <laughs> Like, it's so wrong and so bad. Mm. And people are supposed to be, like, atoning and starving. Mm. And the idea of, like, people, you know, finding one another's eyes in the sanctuary. Like, there's something really hot about that. (laughs) Um, But then also I want – well, so I fetishize, like, corn-fed white guys from the Midwest because they're very exotic for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And I I really appreciate and, you know, admire their culture very much. So (laughs) – I would love, I would love porn sort of, 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 from the Jewish perspective, like fetishizing this like totally American Midwest guy and then probably dominating him. Yeah. Young, dumb, full of cum. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and dominating him. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of that. I also feel like we're, we're about due for like some sort of like punishment of okay this is complicated i'm imagining this sort of like nebbish neurotic hypersexual port noise complaint and then that the filmmaker that i don't want to talk about um and, and and just like having like the tables totally turned on them but at the same time, like a slap in the face is still attention, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's like kind of what they want. Mm. So maybe maybe the porn would just be like locking them in a cage and it, like ignoring them. It's so tricky because it's like you don't want to fall into the traps. Yeah. Huh. 
Well, I don't know. I did I did a, a, a burlesque number that I call Fifty Shades Oyve. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen mm. it. Please describe Fifty Shades Oyve. Um, so the whole thing is framed as like me at home listening to NPR. Okay. And they're doing like a series about Judaica and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and it they they're like, oh, and tonight, Fifty Shades Oyve. It's like written in the style of, of Fifty Shades of Grey. So it's like very poorly written uh-huh. erotica uh, happening like with Christian and um, Anastasia as like Jewish characters. Great. And and she's like interviewing him for her synagogue newsletter. <laughs> and and I get sort of transported into that world. And it's just this like all Jewish BDSM with like Hanukkah iconography. Like Great. I'm, I'm force fed latkes and Manischewitz and... Um, I like have to play a game of dreidel for like who is going to be Dom and there's like you know the lit menorah with like the wax it's a whole thing I love it I love it well there you go that's it that's hilarious and great (laughs) I do think that we could see some more Jewish American princess like bratty mean girl Mm. porn you know I mean the idea of like Jewish woman doing financial domination is very loaded. Oh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds nice, right? It sounds sort of like, again, it like sort of like reclaiming uh, Mm -hmm. a a stereotype and being like, yeah, I am greedy. Mm -hmm. I and I do. um, I am entitled to a pound of your flesh. Well, it's like, yeah, my dad's already taking care of me, but you're my little pay pig, and you know, I, I need, just can't get enough. We need to decorate the house in Boca. <laughs> I only want Jewish people working on this. Like, I feel very strongly about that. Well, absolutely. I mean, listen, it's the same thing as uh, as watching trans porn made by trans people. Mm-hmm. Like, if the if trans folks are making porn either for other trans folks or also or being like we're gonna take advantage of this stereotype to that that we know people want to see to make money uh and maybe also like sort of reclaim the power over this so you know if if trans porn has like ideas of like deception and like revelation um and it's made by trans people i'm like Mm -hmm. hell yeah that feels really different to me than like cis people making it yes same with people of color like yes. i mean i can't tell you like how many conversations i have had with particularly asian dominatrixes that are like you gotta decide if you are gonna like i mean you don't have to do anything but you know the the the, the choice that mm-hmm. they face of thinking like am i going to profit off of what people think and feel when they see me right and what does that mean yes yeah, or am I going to deliberately eschew it and try to, like, make something new? Mm. It's so challenging. I th- I think that's also come up for me as, like, a a fat performer who, who takes off her clothes. Yeah. That there's the idea of, like, I know the story that you want me to tell mm. about myself and about my body. Yes. And I will be rewarded if I tell that story. Mm. Like, you will love it you will walk away thinking that something really powerful has happened and I will walk away knowing that I've given you nothing of myself. Can you give me an example? So one of the stories that people love is that burlesque 
empowered me to love my body. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Uh, yep. Yep. And if I, I know s- that one, you know, that one. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if you say that people are like, my God, of course. <laughs> and like, and like good for you and like body positive. And if you're like, I am a flesh husk and I'm constantly thinking about my own death and I take off my clothes because it makes me feel visible in a world that tries to erase me and there's nothing empowering about getting 50 bucks at the end of the night. If I say that, they're like, oh, we're not going to publish any of that. <laughs> you know, that's, and then I'm like, body positive. And they're like, great, yes. That is a very good point and a very good comparison. And yet another really good segue into talking about why are people into burlesque? So. <sighs> 
I can't remember what your act was, but I remember that it was funny. You may very well, because it was 2011, you might have seen my first performance. That's amazing. <laughs> what can you can you describe it? Yeah, I'm so I've I've long since retired it because I can't use the song anymore, but it was to an R. Kelly song. Oh yes. He had a song called Echo that was all about like girl, I'm gonna fuck you all night and all day and we're gonna fuck for twenty four hours and like just when you think it's over, we're gonna fuck again. And my act was about the sort of like excitement and then impending reality of what that experience would be like. Wow. So it's like all hot until you've just been fucking too long and then I like get my phone and I like I'm sore and I you know I get I like crawl off the stage like I'm chugging Gatorade like yeah was that the one I think so yeah so that would have you saw you saw my first burlesque performance that is amazing (laughs) how did and how did that make you feel (laughs) it made me feel fucking awesome I made like 23 dollars great and it was enough to buy myself a uh, tuna melt at the diner um just around the corner and and like tip well and I was like well this is this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever done in my life so okay so we skipped a step so how did you go from going to that first downtown burlesque show and then actually coming up with an act and doing it yourself yes so I saw my first burlesque performance and then I went back to college and my senior year, my friend Lyriel was running a queer dance night at the little bar on campus and asked if I could put something together. And what I put together was the sort of prototype version of that act. And I was so self-conscious that I, I like stripped down to like a tiny cocktail dress, but I couldn't, couldn't take anything else off. But it felt really good and I got really good feedback about it. Awesome. When I moved to New York, I like told my parents, I was like, I'm moving to New York. And here's here's my naivete. I was like, I'm going to be a writer mm. and I'm going to fund my writing with my burlesque performance. Okay. Uh-huh. And they were like, all look, right, all right. Look at you now. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, sort of. <laughs> it's it's a big money pit, burlesque can be. I'm sure. Yeah. The spangles alone, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yes, the money that I've put into Big Rhinestone at this point. <laughs> So so I I went to see as many shows as I could to get a sense of like what the scene was like and where are the shows where I feel like I could fit. It just so happened that I was like in a space where a producer was when she had oh, the producer of Rebel Cupcake when she had the, a last minute cancellation mm. of the person who was supposed to stage manage the show. And it was like, who could fill this role? <laughs> and I was like, you know, looking through clothes on a garment rack and I just turned around and I was like, oh. I'll do it. <laughs> and so I made like a, a costume from the stuff at the, the, there was like a sales bucket of Christmas decorations at the CVS nearby. Classic. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's how, how we got started. <laughs> cool. And so when did you realize that this was going to be like your whole bio? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like when did burlesque take over your life? When did you take over burlesque? Oh, God. No, no. I mean, I still, I think one of the things that I think about a lot is the there is no there there. Mm -hmm. That like, it's really, most people do not make a living doing burlesque. True. Burlesque is but one of the things I do. And and you got but one version of my bio. True. So so I do contain multitudes. But like, you know, this, you're seeing my, my burlesque stuff. I knew that I wanted my life to be about it. 
um, fairly early on after my initial imposter syndrome wore off. So like mm. the first year, whenever I would perform, I would step off stage and I would be like so happy and grateful. And I'd be like, well, that was really fun. And what a shame that I will never again get booked. And this was it. And I enjoyed my time. Thank you for the opportunity. And then I would like, you know, a couple of months would go by and then I would get another gig and I would start that cycle again. And then as I started accruing gigs and doing multiple gigs a week or multiple gigs a night or having to say no to work because I had other work, yeah, you know, that was this, that was when I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm doing this. Like I'm actually doing this. And it was through the grace and, and generosity of other members of the burlesque community who saw that I gave a shit and wanted to show up and do the best job I could. And they were so supportive. And that was really wonderful. Hell yeah. As a performer, why are you into doing burlesque? Mm-hmm. I am into doing burlesque for a number of reasons. I, I knew that I wanted to be a bad girl. And that's always been very important to me. And it was true when I was little. Like, I, I wanted to be a stripper when I was, like, six or seven. People always say nobody dreams, no little girl dreams of growing up to be a stripper. And they are wrong. Yeah, yes, the fuck they do. Like, I they wanted really so <laughs> Can good girls do burlesque? Not well. Yeah, can we? I don't think we can allow that. They have so much. Okay, go on. Yeah, go enjoy on. WeWork, you know. <laughs> Spin class. Right. Um, Help yourself. Um, so you, you went, yeah, you grew up, you wanted to be a stripper when you were growing up. Yeah, when I was a child, I wanted to be a stripper. I, I've always been a, I've always been a performer. I always did like all of the plays and stuff in, in high school. And I remember having a very difficult conversation with my high school theater teacher where I was like, you know, I know that I don't have the sort of ingenue leading lady thing. What does this mean for my chances out there? And she was like, ditto for her. She was like, it's going to be really grim for a while. And then things kind of pick up in your 40s. And like, I don't know if you feel like putting in the work to make that happen and like getting the training that you need to like wait until your 40s to to kind of blow up. Interesting. And and I was like, ow, 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 ow. And so I, I went to film school instead. Yeah. Because uh, that, that wasn't a satisfying answer for me. Yeah. And I found in filmmaking... And I was focusing on like screenwriting and production. If I wanted to be in a story that represented me well, I would have to write it. Yes. That nothing, nothing was around that I thought was good for me to be in. Yeah. <laughs> like I read like, you know, Neil LeBute's Fat Pig and stuff. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this ain't me. This just ain't me. Yeah. So I started trying to, again, fill, fill, fill the gap. And I, ha- I had a really bad time in film school mm. and I was assaulted on set Oof. and by my crew and they filmed it <gasps> and, yes and edited it and that was like a film submission fuck it was so fucked up fuck. it was so fucked up and um I've always had like a distrust of collaborative work <laughs> like <laughs> as as wonderful as it can be and I've been in you know I've lived in like an anarchist collective you know we I did the thing yeah um but I have a distrust of like I don't I don't believe that these other people are going to be able to help me communicate the ideas that I want to communicate who can relate you know here yeah. we are like yeah. the podcast that you produce and edit you said it not me you know <laughs> um and but so between that and then also just the way that that 
men were experiencing their power in that way. Yeah. And I know several things subsequently have been written about like men in film and the things that happen. A few things have been written about that. Yeah. A couple things. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yes. So I was like, I need to, I need to go find a place where I can make the work I want to make in an unfettered way. And I want a place that is really about womanhood, like uh, where I can make work about my womanhood, where I don't have to trust other people (laughs) to make it happen. I just want to say thank you for bringing that part of your story into this conversation because you don't have to and but that is really powerful and I think powerful for people to hear so thank you oh absolutely I you know it is it was it is not my shame to carry totally I agree yeah fuck those guys fuck that that. (laughs) yeah fuck you guys like they were shitty filmmakers which was neither here nor there but (laughs) It is here and there because I was going to say, like, people with, like, no creativity, like, do mm-hmm. horrible things. But also very creative people do horrible things, too. So I, I don't even know what yeah. to say about that. People I, just be out here and horrible yeah, <laughs> doing bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People with imagination and without imagination. But, um, but yeah, fuck that. Yeah, and it felt like um, now, now that I'm many years removed from it, it kind of feels like the first couple pages in the hero origin, like the superhero origin story. It's like, that was my vat of acid that I fell into. And I very quickly learned like what I wanted and didn't want. So I wanted to pursue burlesque as a way of sort of fulfilling like my desire for performance, my desire for, for telling stories and for being an entertainer and for being funny and for not compromising my vision and for not having to like put up with a bunch of shitty men or so I thought, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And so is um, New York burlesque a utopia uh, in which there are no <laughs> shitty men? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, found, we figured it out. We cracked the code. Amazing. Uh, nothing but clear skies and everyone's on their best behavior. I can see those clear skies out, yeah. of, out of this window. Yeah, no, that uh, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's a cesspool like everywhere. Yeah. I feel more protective of this particular cesspool. This one's mine. Sure. You know? Yeah. I am highly suspicious of men who want to be involved in burlesque and do not strip. Yeah, I'm suspicious of them, too. Mm-hmm. They get They get a long a long stink eye and like several year vetting period which is also not to say that like men are the perpetrators women are the victims because I've also seen an experience in the burlesque scene that it's significantly more complicated than that totally yeah there's a bunch of fuckers in in the scene as with any scene and then particularly a scene that is fringe it's like a lot of people who are like well I always felt like I was getting bullied I was the freak I was the other here is the thing for me here's the place for me to live why do you think burlesque attracts outsiders for lack of a better word i mean it's edgy yeah like it's people getting naked and saying and doing the things that they want to say and do and it's nightlife and Mm. you know there's mostly we perform in venues where people can be drinking or Mm. you know people can be staying out late or doing drugs and all that kind of stuff it's punk like who's attracted to punk stuff yeah when i think about like why people would be into performing burlesque. I think about like the moment of performance. Anybody who knows me knows that I live for a stage and a floodlight and mm. a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously like a lot goes into the art of burlesque besides 
just walking on stage and taking your clothes off, right? Like, first yes. of all, there's big rhinestone, which we, <laughs> we need we need to talk about. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's, there's the design, there's the choreography, there's the planning, and something that you've definitely touched on is that there's community making mm-hmm. because you can't just show up and say, I've got an act, put me on the stage. Right. I don't know. It sounds like you got to like earn your stripes. It sounds like you need to, you need to build trust Mm -hmm. in the community. And what do you think like is appealing, not necessarily in an erotic way, like I do this to like, like I get off on this performance, but like what is like sexually fulfilling or like fulfilling in terms of like bodies and identity about the whole art of burlesque. Mm. I'm going to answer that. And first, I'm going to not answer that. Sure. But please, not answers are <laughs> our bread and butter around here. In terms of the community piece, like I like to create goalposts and then move them for myself. Great. And continue to move them forever and ever. Yeah. But my first, my first goalpost was like, I don't need to be good. I don't need to be unique. I don't need to say like the coolest, best thing in my performance. I need to be good enough to get backstage. I just want to be backstage with these people. That is very punk. I cannot think of anything more punk than what you just said. (laughs) I mean, or like a fucking brown noser. Because I was like, these are the coolest people in the world, I feel. And I need to be in that room with them. Yeah. But you were also like, the way to get access to that space is to do the damn thing. Yes. Yes. And and finding finding my fear where it was hiding and like eradicate it like systematically as I made my way to the backstage like hell yeah, yeah. but in what's ter- it like back there the best <laughs> uh, it's the best everyone you know people imagine that like burlesque backstages are like ho- horny sure they are not <laughs> by and large they are not um, it it is like the world's best makeup artists doing their makeup and totally you know sharing tips and you get to see how these beautiful elaborate expensive costumes you know get fit together and the Mm -hmm. way that they're that they're sort of conceived and the gossip is the best in the world oh my bet (laughs) and and everybody's on top of each other and um and and we're all checking in and having these like prof- you know sometimes really intense profound conversations and then the MC says your name and you just walk out on stage. I mean it's it's wonderful. I don't know. That sounds pretty horny to me, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if it works for you, yeah. Um, for me, that's not a horny space, but that it feels it feels very much like home in terms of the the sort of sexual fulfillment. Sure. Of of burlesque. Uh, it's not it's not super horny making for me. I think it it works much more for the audience, I think, than for me as a performer. Like if other people feel turned on watching burlesque, I think that's really wonderful. To me, I, I think about like the different kinds of nudity that show up in a burlesque show. And yeah. and, you know, while I don't believe in binaries, I do identify that there are like two main ones <laughs> that show up that it's like either the sort of like sensual you know revealing or or the sort of like bold here's me like erotic exchange with the audience and then there's the like you know naked baby after a bath refusing to be toweled off and just <laughs> running through the house <laughs> and and you know like I kind of veer <laughs> towards one end of that uh, but but like I do you know I do travel the distance between the two I don't experience my body like my naked body 
as like inherently erotic like Mm -hmm. it's it's my body and I like it but it's not specifically sexual I think it has so much more to do for me with like the glamour and the transgression that that's the part where I am comfortable I am excited because burlesque was the first time I ever saw like an exalted fat body Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that that was possible until I had the image of it and then I was like well this is this is it this is the thing I think it was Dirty Martini, so blessing, yeah. blessings to you, Dirty. Absolutely. And then, like, how can I shock people and have them stay with me? Like, I don't want to alienate them. I mm. want them to, like, receive the message and and hang in there. So when I talk about, like, burlesque as a Trojan horse, it's like people are very nice to you when you are the only naked person in the room. <laughs> And mm-hmm. they're likely to listen to you and pay attention to you. I mean, exalted fat bodies and transgression and shock are also all very horny making for to to my <laughs> mind. Uh, but but let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the audience. What do you think people like watching burlesque in general? And mm. and then we can we can get into like what is specifically erotic about watching burlesque performances as opposed to maybe other kinds of erotic dance performances Mm. and burlesque is not always erotic no no (laughs) no 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 (laughs) well sometimes it's just a cheap thrill sure and i think there's value in that hell yeah like i feel very strongly about like being part of the tradition of filth of the (laughs) of the new york performing arts scene oh yes and and so i think people people like want to be bad And they sort of are able to dip into sinfulness and excess and glamour and the sort of cool factor of it by seeing a burlesque show that they may not feel comfortable. Like I I hear from a lot of people who are like, I would never go to a strip club, but I will totally go to a burlesque show. I would like to, I'd like us to to return to that debate, um, but, uh, uh, and the horophobia inherent in it. Um, (laughs) uh, But, uh, but let's, let's continue on on this line for now. So like, do you think it's because there's like an element of art or an element of, uh, do you think it has something to do with with some sort of like evocation of like, like the quaintness of burlesque that people think that it is somehow a different way of seeing, of voyeuring to naked bodies dancing? I think so. It's like if it's old timey and if they're not actually making that much money from it, then it's art. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I do know what you mean. Yes. So now that I mean now that I'm at now that I'm at the Met, I'm realizing that like what people have decided is this like extremely highfalutin art form really was just this like entertainment for the masses. Opera, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about this uh, gig at the Metropolitan Opera? Yes. So I am I am a cover, which means like I am an understudy for the bearded lady. So I'm in a production of Cosi Fantute, which they're setting in Coney Island in the 1950s. Great. And the, the, the director has cast a bunch of actual like Coney Island affiliated performers and burlesque and variety and skills performers to appear in the show alongside the singers. And so we're sort of the Greek chorus of the show. And Do you do any singing? 
absolutely not okay i was gonna say that's amazing (laughs) thank god for them like they did a really good thing by not making me sing now the people who are singing are people who that's their job and yes they're the the opera singers they're the opera singers they're they're fantastic (laughs) yeah this isn't um your high school production of cabaret where it's like okay for the kit Kit cat club girls to be a little off key right it is definitely not okay um but it does feel a lot like high school theater since that was the last time that i did like a formal theatrical production yeah so i was like oh, i really went from like my 12th grade senior play to to the met okay well it's fucking amazing here the fuck we are it's a really cool idea well i love experiences that collapse the highbrow and lowbrow same that's like my shit. i find there to be so much transformative potential in in that in the way that we complicate these like respect spaces or the way that we bring like high art to these like dive bars I think all of that is really exciting and so yeah and well and I think that it's really cool that they cast actual burlesque performers instead of having a highfalutin formally trained dancers like slum it right. and like learn how to like imitate the form that you are creating in the dive bars and like at Coney Island. Yes. I mean, I think that's really wise of the casting directors because it's like, you know, I can't I can't do what, what they do, but they can't do what I do. That's right. Exactly. And there's a, a scene in the show where the skills all do their a little bit of their performances. So there is, you know, fire breathing. There is sword swallowing. My, my friend and co-producer Zoe has a live snake and is like doing contortion stuff with it. And it's like, you can't, you couldn't, you just couldn't get somebody who's like, oh, I was in, you know, a touring version of Oklahoma and just give him a snake, you know? <laughs> it's not okay. I mean, they gave one to Brittany. I know. She did fine. She did okay. Yeah. And the snake looked fine and not stressed out, which was good. <laughs> so realizing that opera is seen as a really respected art form because it's old. Right, right. <laughs> so, oh, I see what, yes, yes. I see what you're, what you're weaving together here. But of course, like it was at one time. Like entertainment for the masses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of that. I think of burlesque as that because like the split happened, you know, 50 or so years ago because there wasn't such a thing as a strip club. It was just like burlesque houses that would mix different kinds of entertainment with striptease performance. Right. Like that's where uh, like Bette Midler got her start. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, you know, people like Tempest Storm and all the sort of like totally the sort of classic burlesque performers. They were the strippers of the day. And so then once strip clubs started in this sort of like, you know, 60s, 70s, there was this, that was the the sort of death of burlesque. Mm. Like people were either strippers, porn stars, sex workers, or they were like actors, dancers. Like it really sort of separated all that. And there's so much uh, class uh, related to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, there is. Who does, who does what job and who, who gets to claim what title, even if they're doing the same job, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so then the burlesque revival, since it has like the sort of like riot girl Mm. tradition sewn into it. And because it harkens back to a former era, it's like, oh, cool. I get I'm empowering. Empowering. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And which is which is, I think, also why they pay us less. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, the money would um, would really just be so degrading to you. Yes, I really hate receiving money. Yeah, especially if it's thrown on you when you're not wearing very many clothes. That's terrible.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.